Now this evening I want to speak to you about the folly of false religion. The folly of false religion. We said this morning that false religion is relating to God on our terms. So that's the definition. If you are not here this morning, false religion is relating to God on our terms. It is foolish to live like that because in the end it does not bring ultimate fulfillment. It does not fully satisfy us. And if you are in doubt, just ask the pop star Lady Gaga. I recently watched a short promotion video uh, of the Netflix documentary on Lady Gaga. In this promotion video, uh, the singer is on the phone uh, to her best friend, the celebrity stylist, Brandon Maxwell. She says to him on the phone, I am alone, Brandon. Every night, and all these people will leave me, right? They will leave me, and then I will be alone. I go from being with people every day, touching me, knowing, being with me, and speaking to me, and then in the evening, it's just total silence. It seems for all our many millions of fans from around the world, and a massive wealth, Lady Gaga has not been able to fill the empty hole in her heart. She's alone. But in some sense, she's not alone. Because all human beings have a sense that this world can never ultimately satisfy us. No matter how much we accumulate in life, no matter how much wealth we have, no matter how many friends we have, no matter how much fame we have, it will never ultimately satisfy us. And all of us know that as we sit here this evening. We know that. But you see, instead of turning to the true God of the Bible to find fulfillment, we seek to deal with our emptiness by filling our lives with false gods. Filling our lives with idols. This morning, we continued our story of Micah and his idols in Judges chapter 18. Now, for those of you who have been with us for the last two Sundays, you know that this story is an annex to the book of Judges. That's very important. It's part of the book of Judges, but it doesn't follow. Chapter 18, 17 and 18 doesn't follow chapter 16. The events from chapter 17 to chapter 21 happen very early in the life of Israel. Indeed, the story we have been looking at of Micah and the Levite and his mom and, and the Danites uh, really would have even out of occurred perhaps in chapter 1 or chapter 2 of Judges. You need to keep that in mind to understand what's going on here. And so, in the morning we looked at verse 1 to verse 20. Now, you remember, for those who are here, you know what's been happening in, in, in these verses is that the Danites, this tribe of Dan, is looking for a new homeland. They have rejected God's plan of living where God had assigned them. They now want to live somewhere else. And they are on their way to a place called Laish, uh, to look for land. But on the way, you remember, for those of you here this morning, they decided to take a, you know, pass by Micah's house. And they passed by Micah's house to steal the idols. They've stolen these idols. And, uh, and the priest, Jonathan. So that's where we left off the story. 
They are on their way to Laish, and they think to have success in Laish, they need Micah's idol. And they've gone into the house, stolen the idols, and also not quite kidnapped Jonathan. I mean, they've offered him an incentive to come with them, and Jonathan, the priest, has agreed to come. This is all, of course, idolatrous stuff. Things that they are not meant to do as children of Israel. So that's where we left the story. And this morning we learned about the false comfort of false religion. For this evening we are concluding this particular story, uh, picking up where we left off to learn the folly of false religion. Micah's idols have been stolen. What will Micah do? And where will all of these things lead us to? So, there are three truths I want to share from verses 21 to verse 31 that show the foolishness of false religion. The first truth I want to share, which is in your outline, is that false religion is useless. Useless. Notice in verse 21 that the Danites have grabbed, as I said, Micah's idols, and they make their way. And the owner of the idols, Micah, realizes what has happened. And he calls for help. Look at verse 21 to verse 22. So they, the Danites, turned and departed, putting the little one, that is children, and the livestock and the goods in front of them. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house, his neighbors, were caught out, and they overtook the people of so Micah is, is lost to die. His eyes have been stolen from him. And he's realized this thing. And he comes now looking for these guys. We can imagine Micah knocking on the door of his neighbors uh, for his several gods campaign. He says, come out, come out. Look, we must fight for our, for, for our gods. Oh, this is it. We are finished. And Micah's neighbors join in. And as I thought about that, it struck me, isn't it? It's, it I don't know about you, but it, to me, it showed me just how amazingly sinners are so united in sin. The unity of sinners in sin amazes me. And in some sense, it shames me in the sense that I wish as believers we were so united in holiness as sinners are in sin. So we see here that Micah and his neighbors are chasing and they call out to the Danites to bring the idols. But the people of Dan are not interested. Look at verse 23. And they shouted, this is Micah and his neighbors, they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you come with such a company? So Micah is calling out to them and their response is very rude. It's like, what is this? You know, they're saying to him, look, are you insane? Are you looking to die here? How can you try and take on an entire army? That's basically what they're asking Micah. But Micah is desperate. He's just as desperate as desperate Dan, okay? So Micah is out there looking for them, and, he, and, he, and he's found them, and he tells them, look, I want my idols back. And he starts yelling, I guess, and pleading to them to give them back. Look at verse 24. And he said to them, you take my gods that I met, interesting, he acknowledges these are false gods. You take my gods that I made and the priest who I hired, I guess, and go away. What have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? Now, it's interesting there that Micah is appealing to their human decency. He says, you guys, I need these idols. How can you steal this only thing that I have? 
Oh, friends, again, the self-contradiction of sinners. Here is Micah, the man who steals from his mother. He stole from his mother in chapter 17. Now here he's trying to persuade another fifth to act honorably. The self-contradiction of sinners. Sinners are never consistent. And we see here that the Danites are not in a mood for sympathy. Look at verse 25. And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your households. You know, you can imagine them just warning him, look, you know, with their hands, if you like, on, on their weapons and say, look, go away or it's going to be very, very ugly for you. Don't yell at us. If you continue behaving like this, you'll be a dead man. Uh, just go home. And we can picture now that Micah, after hearing that, feels very sad. The Danites are armed for war. He's outgunned. And he just has to go back. He loves his idols, but he doesn't love his idol enough to die for them. Look at verse 26. And the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. Micah's world has crumbled. He has invested heavily in, in Project Idol. And he has now discovered that the false religion, the idols that he had invested in, he made with his own hand, cannot actually protect him. They are useless. They are useless to serve him. And here then is a lesson, isn't it? In the end, living, in the end, living for ourselves who disappoint us. You see, whatever we make into our, into our God rather than worshipping Christ will not bring lasting happiness. Whether it is money, power, relationships, or even a prosperity gospel God, that too will disappoint us. It will not bring ultimate fulfillment. You see, friends, the person who makes their career their God will eventually find their route to blessing blocked by someone too strong for them. I know this firsthand. At work, there's always someone at work too able, too well-connected than you are. There's always someone at work who has a better idea than you do. And there's always a better sports person. There's always a better person at some other thing. And so if we lean on that thing, sooner or later, we'll find that we are just not able to be out there. We are, eventually we find that there's always something or someone better. The person who makes their image or beauty their God, they will eventually find that time is an enemy too strong for them to hang on to their youth and good looks. Isn't it amazing, the celebrities, isn't it? They invest heavily in their looks. And for a time, it looks heavy, they're looking well. But they won't look like that when they're 40, 50, 60. In the end, they lose. And ultimately, of course, death removes all the false gods we look to. You know, Micah was blessed. When I thought about Micah's story, Micah is blessed here. Why? Because he's discovered the emptiness of idols before his death. The idols have been stolen from him, not at his deathbed. 
He's discovered them when he's good with his neighbors, when he's still in his prime, and he can chase for things. Many people sadly discover it is too late on their death. Uh, they discover it too late only on their deathbed. It is God's providence that you are not in the hospital today as you are hearing this. It is God's providence that while you are here, I, for some of you who are still very, very young in your prime, you know, you can look forward now, knowing full well that trusting in false gods is not going to lead you to fulfillment. Many people discover that very late in life, and tragically, most of people never even discover it at all, except when they face God uh, when they've died. It is God's blessing. So take it to heart this evening. False religion is useless. That's our first point. The second point we learn here is that false religion is senseless. Senseless. Let's rejoin the people of Dan. The, the Danites, you see, they are with Micah's. Uh, they've run away with Micah's uh, household gods and his priests. That's in the bag now. And so <laughs> they are now headed north uh, to Laish. They are going to this city to Laish uh, for a deadly assault. Look at verse 27 to 28. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made, you know, man-made gods, and the priests who belonged to him, that is Jonathan, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon that they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Let's just pause there. We noted this morning that the people of Laish are wonderful sort of people. They are peaceful people. They are different. They're like children. They are not, not at war with anyone. They, they, you know, they are sinners, yes, but they, are, they just mind their own business. They are good people, humanly speaking, even as they are sinners. And the people of Dan are not meant to attack these people at all. They are meant to be where they are to face up to the Amorites. This is not Joshua going into Canaan. This is, a, this is the people of Dan doing their own thing. They have slaughtered here an entire peaceful population. Very far, by the way, Dan is way out north. And they have traveled from, if you like, central west coast. And they've gone all the way up to slaughter these people. And on top of this slaughter they've done, men, women, and children, on top of these dead bodies, they now build their own city. Look at verse 28 to 29. And they rebuilt, let's continue verse 28, yeah, where we ended. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. Verse 29, and they named the city Dan after the name of their ancestor who was born to Israel. But the name of that city was Laish at the first. I like the honesty of the Bible. You know, it's, it's keeping track of all of this and it's, it's, it's recording it for us, the truth that this is a tragedy what has occurred here. These people have sinned against God. It is a great evil. They have disobeyed God by leaving the inheritance where God had placed them. 
They have moved up north because they want an easy life. And because they want an easy life, they will do anything for an easy life. They have manned, killed, and burned an entire group of people. And on top of that, they have built their own city. It is tragic. It is a great evil what they have done. And they have done it because sin has corrupted their thinking. Done has become foolish. And this is what, has, what sin has done to our human beings. Sin, we, we noted when we're going through Samson, sin not only wrecks a person spiritually, it also wrecks us intellectually. Sin is anti-intellectual. Our sinful nature degrades our capacity to think clearly about life. The Bible presents the sinner not as a sober individual, friends, not as a sober person who can think clearly. Every sinner is presented as a drunkard without sense. Nahum chapter 1 verse 10 uh, says this, speaking uh, here in Nineveh, I think, for they are like entangled thorns. Like drunkards as they drink, they are consumed like stubble, fully dried. Sinners, they are entangled in their own sin and they are staggering sort of with drunkenness of sin. That is the condition of sinners. A drunkard is a person without sense who drives himself to destruction. You know, when a person is drunk on liquor, they cannot tell if they are left or they are right. I mean, they, 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 they can't tell anything if they are completely drunk. Friends, that's the condition of every sinner. And if you are a follower of Jesus this evening, if you have come to that point of surrendering to Christ as your Lord, you've surrendered to him, this truth should make you patient towards family members who do not know Jesus. It should make you patient towards colleagues at work and neighbors who do not know Jesus. People you work with. Because you see, friends, when you're dealing with a rude cashier in Sainsbury's, when you are dealing with that neighbor who's always having a go at you, you are not dealing with a sober person. You are dealing with an individual who cannot think properly about God or themselves. When we look at our politicians, our world leaders, who do not know Jesus, we are not looking at sober individuals. We are looking at spiritual drunkards. They cannot evaluate life properly. Now we should think about that carefully. Not so that we should look down on them. Quite the contrary. It should make us pray for them earnestly. I know we laugh at drunkards on TV. I mean, if you see a drunkard sort of stumbling around, he makes good comedy, doesn't he? On television. But, you know, when you spend time with a senseless drunkard, when you get to know a drunkard, or if you know somebody who's addicted to something, and you get to know them at the personal level, you spend lunch time with them, you just talk with them or whatever, you, you are in their world. Friends, you don't laugh at them. You start feeling sorry for their condition. Sinners are like that. They're drunk in their sin. They can't tell their left from their right. 
All sinners are like that. You see, sinners are like the drunkard General Ivogin in, in, in Fyodor Dotvorsky's novel, The Idiot. I don't know if you've read that. I've, I've read it. I, I, have, I have to check my sense whether I actually finished it. But General Ivogin in there is, the, is very drunk, if you know the novel, right? You know, sinners are like that. They have lost the grip on true reality. General Ivogin can't tell you. You know, you hear he tells you something. You're trying to figure out, is, he, is that true or is that false? Sinners are like that. They are helpless. They can't think right about life. The sinner, you see, cannot save herself. Frankly, she doesn't want to. The drunkard doesn't even want to stop. She has no sense to come to God. So how can our hearts not be broken for her? How can we not be broken for people around us who are lost? Genuinely lost. It is only by the grace of God that many of us are followers of Christ at all. You see, friends, somehow, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow, the Spirit of God has visited me in that state of my own sinful drunkenness. And He somehow sobered me up. Somehow he has opened my eyes to see my sin and he has caused me to have faith in Christ, to trust in his cross. It is a wondrous work of grace, but for God I will still be a spiritual drunkard. But God in his mercy has done this. And you know, when you realize the wonder of this grace, it makes you grateful to God, doesn't it? But it also makes us treat sinners we come across with such love and grace, with compassion for them. But also it should do another thing for us. It should make all of us as followers of Jesus read our Bibles carefully because you see, even though we've been converted and given a new nature, if we trust in Christ, and we have new reason. We can think God's thoughts after him by his spirit. The truth of the matter is when we indulge in sin, it clouds our thinking, doesn't it? Even followers of Jesus are prone to find ways to wallow back in false religion and become senseless in the process. For a while. You see, sin can be very appealing to us. You know, Thomas Brooks says this, sin, Satan paints sin with virtuous colors. Satan paints sin with virtuous colors. So we need to spend time in God's word and in prayer. Because even though we are born again, we are prone to wonder. We are prone to lose our senses. You know, have you ever done something, you know, you, 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 know, you, you, are, you are in the word and you are studying it, and all of a sudden you just sin. And say, Why did I do that? That's what sin does, isn't it? It makes us momentarily temptations. We give in, and momentarily we lose our senses. So if you are, if you are not surrendering to Christ this evening, then you are the, you know, you're a spiritual drunkard. And if you have come to that position of trusting in Christ, then be compassionate to those who are spiritually drunk. And be in the Word so that you do not, uh, so to speak, take on too much spiritual alcohol. So that's the second point we learn here. The second point is false religion is senseless. The first point is what? False religion is useless. 
The second point is that false religion, living for ourselves, is senseless. It robs us of senses. Here's the final point, uh, beloved. The final point is that false religion is pointless. It is pointless. Let's go back to the people of Dan. So the people uh, um, of Dan have established their homeland up north over the dead bodies, so to speak. Now, some of them are still in Mahanedan. And years later, Samson will be born, of course, in Mahanedan between Eshtar and Zorah. So this is why I told you this is in the early stages uh, of Judges. But these guys have moved up north. 600 of the men and their families, they are up north. And those in the north, they've settled down and they have, you know, let Jonathan get on with his job. He has been recruited for his first archbishop of, uh, so to speak, of Dan in this idolatrous religion they've set up. Look at verse 30 to verse 31 as we conclude this narrative. Excuse me. And the people of Dan in verse 30, set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Geshem, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the captivity of the land. Verse 31, so they set up Micah's carved image, which they stole from Micah, that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. The tribe of Dan, <laughs> let us remember, this is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, born into God's people, Israel, has chosen to live outside their located land, and now they're outside, if you like, God's religion altogether. They, they, this is, <laughs> they, they are broken away from Israel. Very important point. They are broken away, set up their own parallel religion. And they have done this, supported by Jonathan, Moses' own descendant. Now, this is the Moses who burned with rage at Aaron's golden calf. Now, his descendant is doing this. I think Moses would be turning in his grave if he was not in heaven enjoying Christ. His grandson has led people back to Egypt spiritually. Let us note in passing here, friends, that God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. No one is related to God by any family tree, any congregation, any country, any tribe. You must stand before God personally and individually. And Jonathan is a proof. Even a wonderful family legacy will not keep you, will not, won't convert you. It won't. Only the Spirit of God working in your heart can change a man or a woman. Now we are told here that Jonathan and his sons, they go on to minister until when? Did you pick that up? Until the day of the captivity of the land. This is, a, this is the key point of the entire story. They go on to minister until the day of the captivity of the land. That's what verse 30, 30 says. And these sons were priests to tribe the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. The point is that the false religion that Micah started and the people of Dan stole and Jonathan presided over 
is not going to last, didn't last for a thousand years. It hasn't. It goes on until the captivity of the land. And we know about this captivity because we've seen some of the captivity elements of it already. We, now remember, as I said, this story is at the start. Okay, so we could have preached this sermon earlier on before we went into Judges, I guess. And we've seen some of the captivity they've experienced. The foreign powers that have come. In, 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 we've met them, haven't we? Kush and Ristahim start sweeping from the north. We've seen many others. The Philistines have come. And we've seen many people that have oppressed the people like the Danites and other tribes of Israel. So in the end, punishment arrived in Judges. And we know now standing here with the benefit of the entire canon of scripture that centuries later, the people of Israel, after this period in Judges, will see their land taken from them by the Assyrians and the Babylonian captivity. The idolatry that Dan started never paid off. And friends, isn't it noteworthy, if you know your Bible very well, that the tribe of Dan is not listed in the book of Revelation among the 12 tribes? It's not there. I wonder to myself, is Dan perhaps like a form of Judas? Judas' name will not be found among the 12 apostles who will be listed on that day. Mm. I'll leave you to ponder. Because the key lesson to me seems to be that in the end, you see, friends, the worship of God on our terms is useless, senseless, and pointless. It is almost like apostasy, a breaking away from God's divine order. And the real tragedy here is that living like that misses out on the good news of this passage. Because there is good news in this passage. Look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. So they set up, the people of Dan, Micah's carved image that he made, as long as what? The house of God was at Shiloh. As long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Do you see, friends, that God had made it possible for the people of Dan to worship him in truth? The Danites could have chosen to approach the house of God at Shiloh. They could have chosen to worship God the way he wanted it in spirit and in truth, to worship him and live with him. The tabernacle, the place of God's presence among his people, was in Shiloh. And the people of Dan were meant to make that the focal point of the Danites. Oh, friends, and God's tabernacle should be our focal point today. No, no, I'm not talking about this building. No, not a tabernacle made with human hands. The tabernacle is actually a person. Listen to what John says in John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know that literally that says the word tabernacled among us? The point, friends, is that God offers each one of us here an opportunity to enter Christ, our tabernacle. To be found in him. And when you turn from sin and surrender your life to Jesus, you are now in Christ, in the tabernacle of God. Oh, friends, are you a follower of Jesus this evening? 
This is your reality. You have, if you trust in Jesus, you have true religion. If you have surrendered to Jesus, God has not abandoned you to some false religion. You have entered Christ, the tabernacle. You are in Him. And you worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. Oh, so be thankful to God. Be thankful to God. It is not because of anything you have done. You know you were a spiritual drunkard. And yet Christ took pity on you. Thank God then that you are no longer living in the spiritual Egypt of sin. You can thank God that God has lifted you out from the spirit of Egypt of sin and he has now planted you, spiritually speaking, in the land of Christ, so to speak. You have a new spiritual address. Thank God for what is done. And how do we express our thanks to God? Is it by wallowing back in false religion? Is it by putting other things first in life ahead of God? I think Brother Mark, if he was here, he would say, certainly not. It is by making the tabernacle of Christ the center of our lives. We fully surrender to him and continue to surrender to him every day. When I think about surrendering to Christ, I think of babies all the time. Because we are meant to be like a child, aren't we? We are meant to be like a baby that depends on our parents. Babies look to their parents for everything. And and the surrender Christ calls us to do is we are to be the same. We are to come to the tabernacle of Christ, to hold on to Christ, to ask Christ always to be our guide. To forsake all for him. Friends, God's agenda is that all of his children flock to Christ and remain there, not to go to Laish. If we still want Laish, that's a big problem. If your heart and affection are not in Christ, big red flag, big red flag. You see, friends, there's no living in Jesus apart from absolute surrender. Because why? Because living in Jesus is who we are, friends. We are born of God. We are God's property. So resolve this evening to wave that white flag of surrender to Jesus. Tell Jesus, Lord, even before you ask the question, yeah? Even before you ask the question, the answer is yes. Do you know what surrender looks like? That is surrender. Surrender is telling Jesus, even before you ask the question, my answer to you is yes. Whatever you command, anywhere, anytime, any price, my answer is yes. It's hard, I know, Lord. So please help me by your spirit to live for you and not for myself. If we are not able to tell the Lord Jesus that, then no matter what we think, no matter how many religious experts you hear on television, no matter how many books tell you to the contrary, the truth of the matter is you are practicing a false religion, a cursed religion. I don't care 50,000 pastors could be lined up. An angel can appear from heaven 
even now telling you that you're okay, you are not. Because based on the living word, a heart that has been transformed must be a heart that totally surrenders to Christ. It doesn't mean you are there yet. No. You're growing in surrender. But your basic disposition is to what? Always do the Father's will. And if you can't surrender to him in that way, then we need to ask God, you need to ask God to change your heart. Don't worry about the mileage you put in. Start now. Ask him to change your heart, to give you a new birth. Only the Lord himself can give you a new heart. Ask him to do it. And he will genuinely convert you. He will give you that new heart. So that you can have true fulfillment in Christ. May God help all of us to abandon the folly of false religion. And find true comfort in Christ, our tabernacle. Amen. Amen.